There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In three, two, one. Again by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoop. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. Score. Tamu Solani with the steal. Three in the face. One one. Welcome back, Ducks fans. This is Patrick and Eddie hosting the show tonight as the Ducks fall to the Kings 3-2. to two. And what Randy Carlisle... I'm, oh, I'm sorry. This wasn't a Randy Carlisle game, Eddie? Because it certainly felt like one. It, <laughs> it certainly was, uh, felt like a Randy Carlisle game. Holy hell, this was a brutal game to watch. It's what's been dubbed the Jackoff. Oh, that's, that's what you have a to dumb remember. name, too. Oh, my God. What a bunch of... What, oh, come on. Don't... Don't be. Don't act like you're above them. Don't act like they're childish for calling it the jack off. That's hilarious. It's still dumb. It's still dumb. I can still think it's funny. It's still dumb. I mean, okay. like, really? Because either one of these teams is going to get Jack Hughes. Let's just be real about that one. But yeah, it's true. It is. That's what it's been dubbed. That's what everyone's calling it. I understand. But uh, the Ducks fall three to one or three to two in this game. Um, you know. It's kind of cool when you're watching a game on TV and uh, the broadcast decides not to show a, a shot clock. Instead, they show a shift clock. So That's I know NBC how long. Fan. So I know how long uh, Drew Doughty and Ryan Getzloff have been on the ice because my God, showing the shot clock would have been brutal. As the Ducks had three shots through 11 minutes into the second period total. Yeah, total. Yeah, That's I mean, we had so much hope in the Montreal game. I don't want to actually wait. Wait, hold on, hold on. We didn't have hope. In the Montreal game, and excitement in the Montreal game. Something <laughs> game we had fun. Seen in a while. We blew them it out. Fun. Got some yeah, goals. Exactly. I mean, the last few games, even with the ones where the Ducks lost in the final seconds, 
They've been fun games throughout the game. They've been fun to watch. This is what we saw earlier in the year. This is boring. The entire game was boring. The first period was, you know, decently exciting. Obviously more so for the Kings because they scored three goals. Um, and then the rest of the game was just a nightmare. There was one goal scored for the rest of the game, and it was Jakob Silverberg late in the third period. Um, Hold on yeah. for all the haters. No iced tea tonight, especially you, Daisy. No iced tea tonight. Drinking uh, Modern Times tonight. Just <laughs> had to cut that in there. I got a lot of flack for not drinking in the post game, so had to do that's that tonight. That's what Pucks and Bruises for, right? That's, <laughs> if you're not on the Patreon, that's what Pucks and Bruises is for. <laughs> it, this game... Um, I guess could be surmised that uh, Corbinian Holzer is not very good. Um, he and both Megna were out there for quite a lot of chances and shots against, and they got brutalized in that first period. And that that's kind of all she wrote was in that first period because the second period, eh, not a whole lot going on for either team. Then the third period, the Ducks try to come back with a late, like, you know, late game push. Is you know, score facts. Kings looking to defend. Ducks looking to crash the net. Ducks Push is a very uh, Ooh, suspect yeah. word there. Yeah, yeah 20, it's... 20 shots on goal in the game. At... Oh, yeah. I didn't even know what the final shot count was because I had no reference well, as I was watching the game. 25 to 20 so... for the LA Kings. <laughs> yeah, because I'd love to see that Drew Doughty's been on the ice for 30 seconds. That's what I want to see. I, I was texting with my analytic, or uh, I was texting my buddy about analytics, and I was like, dude, I love him, but like, I, I don't care until after the game how long the shifts were, time on ice was, or individual Corsi or individual you know scoring chances, all that. It's like just wait till the end. Let me watch the game and make my own judgments, and then go back and look at the stats and compare. It's brutal to not have a shot clock, but in this case, I was happy because my mind would have exploded. Yeah. Well, like they didn't have a shot for like the first seven minutes, which. Is about, I think, 10 games ago, you know, and then before that is where we started seeing that a lot, where the Ducks just couldn't get any shots on goal. And, of course, we mentioned it in the last podcast that, oh, the Ducks aren't that team anymore. They're, they're the team. They're actually doing it to other teams. They're they're getting a ton of shots on goal early on, and they're limiting the amount of shots against. And then they go and they play the worst team in the Western Conference, and uh, it, they just completely revert back to what they were doing before, where... For some reason, the Kings just stifled them, completely suffocated them. I mean, it's not like the Kings were blowing out the shot, right? It was 3-0, I think, about seven minutes into the game, so it wasn't too much. The Ducks do end up scoring on their first shot on goal. But, yeah, I mean, this was the type of game in the end you expected between two of the lowest goal-scoring teams in the league. Maybe not the final score, but the fact the shots were 25-20. to Like, that's, that's kind of what you expect, right? Yeah, it's kind of what you expect for sure, but... Let's get into this game, and bef- but before we do, I want to give a shout out to uh, Gordon Bombay's wife, Stacy, as uh, she needs a shout out. Apparently, they're on the ride home and they're listening to this to the show, and uh, Gordon said, "Give her a shout out." So hopefully, that embarrassed her. Um, Ducks coming off a gigantic win last night, Eddie, with an eight to do victory over the Habs, or two nights ago rather, on Friday, falling to the Kings. Kessler hits his his one thousandth game uh, prior to that, and he's basically not available it almost feels like that was to get him to that game right he played on Wednesday didn't play Friday didn't play today maybe that was the push to get him to a thousand games and rest him as he was a scratch tonight also with uh Brendan Goulet unfortunately I have no update I got asked about him there's nothing just he's not skating that's all so it's not good Uh, what is that four games now that he's missed 
and uh, he hasn't yeah. been on the ice whatsoever. Which is horrible because he is a driver of offense for this team, and he's not available, which is brutal brutal to to, to find out that he's not in in this uh, in this lineup night after night. And I wonder if it's a head injury, which we hope to God is not the case. But um, I think the rumor was he blocked the shot. Maybe that hits a hand. I mean, even though your hands are below your waist, it's still considered an upper body injury. So it's weird to not hear any update on it, though. That's the thing. Like, there's been nothing at all. And they're being kind of secretive about it, which is never a good thing. But sometimes the Ducks just do this, where they just fail to say anything about a player. I mean, Kevin Wall was kind of like that all year. We kind of knew what was going on with him, but there was no updates about him. And then all of a sudden he's back, like just out of nowhere. And I, I hope we hear something soon. There has been a flurry of games where the Ducks really haven't had two days of rest in a while. It's been a couple back-to-backs here and there, and then a, a game every other day. So once they finally get some rest, they're not going to get it now because they play uh, against Nashville on Tuesday. Well, I can't but, wait for that game. Yeah, like that, it's not going to get any better. But <laughs> hopefully, when they actually get a couple days off, we get some some news about some of these guys. You know, we know what's going on with Kessler, obviously, because they announced that. But hopefully, we hear something on Gouley and we can hear what's going on with him. Were you surprised that Ryan Miller got the start tonight over Johnny Gibson? Because I kind of was. A little bit. I kind of was. A little bit, yeah. I mean, he's, Gibson's been playing well. And it's not, you know, Miller just seemed like he was going to get the back-to-back starts. And I'd have to look into this, but every time Miller has gotten a start that hasn't been back-to-back, Gibson has either, A, had bad numbers against this team, or Miller's had really good numbers against this team. The Ducks are, are still one of those teams who seem to still want to do that, where if a, a goalie has good career numbers – no matter how long it spans or bad career numbers, they'll go with the guy who has better numbers. I would have to think, and again, I haven't looked into this, that that's the reason Miller started tonight because there's no reason John Gibson shouldn't have been able to go. He looked completely fine in the Montreal game, and uh, he's looked good pretty much since coming back. I, I think he's only really had one game where you're like, Ugh. I think that was the St. Louis game where you're like, oh, maybe that wasn't his best night. But other than that, I've liked what he's done, and I was a bit surprised to see Miller. But I, I definitely think it's some kind of numbers game that the Ducks are running with that one. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, but, I mean, really, Miller didn't have a bad game tonight. He was kind of left hung out to dry on these goals. So we can we can hop into those. But before we get there, Eddie, got a couple of shout-outs to go off here. Um, we have a watch party going on March 23rd on the rematch of this game, Ducks-Kings. It's a game in L.A., so we're going to be doing a watch party off Imperial La Palma at Craftsman Pizza. Eddie, you'll be here in town to, uh, on that night for the, our last watch party of the season. So if you guys want to show up to that, we got uh, great food and drink on tap and plenty of raffle prizes to give away as our final party of the year. And then a shout-out is definitely in order to several people. Uh, first off, Alex Ramirez for donating the tickets to Jason tonight. Jason got to take his dad to the game, to the Ducks-Kings game. So shout-out to Alex for donating those tickets to us and, then, and uh, letting Jason take his pops out for a game night. And then to Tom and to Jimmy and our Patreon for letting Jason and I tag along to the Bob Murray breakf- breakfast, by the way. Jesus Christ, yeah. it felt like a snack. Well, did you guys not? Did you, yeah, I, I kind of respect oh that. Oh, my God. Did you guys God. not get a nice, nice big breakfast? Oh, no, oh, it was brutal. We're going to talk about it tomorrow on our Patreon show just because I saw it's, Jimmy it's a Patreon say, uh, I saw Jimmy say that uh, he went out for breakfast after. So uh, I, I, I went home and made. Figured, right? I went home and made like jalapenos, peppers, and eggs, and had uh, some ham and like fried up some ham and stuff too. Because the the breakfast was like a breakfast. 
here you go. It's it, yeah. it, it was yeah. Even the smallest person alive would have been left starving. Um, but no, we appreciated that. It was interesting, and uh, I got about forty minutes of recording to go through recorded the whole thing on my phone. So we're going through that, and we're going to put that up on the Patreon for everyone to listen to as to what happened to the Bob Murray interview. But uh, let's get to this game. Jones gets off Sprong. Sprong in the lineup now again, which is a good thing. Raquel Henrique and Terry, Richie Shore, Silverberg, Grant and Rowney and Perry were uh, on the lineup tonight. I also saw Max Jones. I don't see him in your lineup. Did you miss him? Uh, I'm co- <laughs> full disclosure. I copied that lineup from like three games ago, so it's not it's not fully up to date. But he was in there tonight. He definitely uh, played tonight. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I know. It was just well, who did I have in there? Now I need to check. Because, oh, um, I pointed out a flaw in Eddie's scheme, everybody. Please, everyone, chirp him for not being prepared tonight. Oh, he's on the top line with Getzlaff. Are you blind? <laughs> You're right. He is on the top line with Getzlaff. <laughs> I made you look. <laughs> That's a good laugh. Let's get into the first period. It was all Kings, and it was all Kings for a long time. Let's get to the first goal, then. Goes to Dustin Brown. Dustin Brown with a seeing eye shot from the point. Finds its way all the way through. Whatever traffic was in front of Miller and ends up going five hole. That was a weird one because that was kind of like a like a beer league shot. It was like I think Miller wasn't expecting it to come down, and I think that shot kind of floated up and floated back down. And ended up five hole, Eddie. I don't think there's much. It's just one of those. It just went in. It was just one of those ones. That just just went in. It's the way it goes. I mean, it, it's tough. And and Miller again. We talked about how he's a surprise starter tonight, and. Uh... You know, these are the ones that it, it goes through a couple people, like you said. And there's sometimes you just take your eyes off the puck. And <laughs> this one looked like one of those moments because it went through a couple legs. But this thing was always about an inch off the ground. It didn't take a deflection. It didn't, you know, change height. It was just a about an inch off the ground, and it just floats its way through five hole. And I think for a second, he loses it in the feet, loses, uh, like, sight of the puck, and it goes right through his five hole. He wasn't set for that either, which I don't know if he was expecting Brown to take that shot. Uh, but that's a tough one. And I always hate saying, you know, that, that the goalie's going to want that one back. But Miller will be looking back at the film for this one and be like, how did I not see that one? Like, how was I not set and ready to go for that? It's a typical Dustin Brown type of goal, right? Like, this, that's what it feels like. It, these are the types of goals that go in for Dustin Brown. Yeah, you know, that's true. And I guess what I want to point out here in early, and we can talk about it as we get to more of the post-game side, of the, or the post-post-game side of things as we're already talking post-game, is Jacob Megna and Corbinian Holzer did not have a good game. They were out there for all three goals against. So that kind of goes back against what we talked about with Kevin Bieksa or, you know, a long, long time ago. We're talking about Clayton Stoner. Anybody on that on that last pair on defense as how like oh they only play limited minutes they don't see you know the top competition they don't really affect the game that much this is one of those games where they really affected the game um, maybe not so much on this goal but on the subsequent goals uh, this defensive pairing man the broadcast both radio and TV have seemed to like them but I've just seen them give up shot after shot and look bad night after night what's your take? Uh, briefly here on Megna and Holzer. The play, well, I want to skip ahead to quickly to that goal because this the the second goal for the Kings because this kind of makes sense on what we're talking okay, about here. Okay. Where by the uh, way, we'll, Getzloff we'll go, uh, strips the puck and feeds Sprong and he scores. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll go back to that because I do want to talk about Daniel Sprong a bit again. But you know, when you get walked around or, or you get blown by by Kyle Clifford, 
That is not a, that's not a good look. And I think for for some reason in the back of my head, I remember Kyle Clifford doing this to somebody else in the Ducks. I think it was last year where he made a similar play where he, he just flew by a guy. And it was probably Kevin Bieksa or Francois Boschman, thinking off the top of my head. But yeah, most likely. Yeah, it's never a good look. And then not only that, he just allowed to walk from the board or from the circle into the slot, skates backwards and fires a shot past Ryan Miller. Like nobody, nobody really back checks on this guy. And and again, it is on Holzer from for missing that assignment completely. And uh, again, this isn't Tyler Toffoli. This isn't Adrian Kempe. This isn't Jeff Carter. This is Kyle Clifford. Like you got to have this one. Like you, you two are at about the same skill level. Like you've got to make an effort to at least get the body on the guy. And uh, I mean, I haven't hated Bagdon Holzer. Like they haven't been as bad as I expected them to be. They've had some solid games where they haven't made a ton of mistakes. Jacob Magna had a, a one goal, one assist game, which was nice for him. But they are kind of are what you what what you think they're going to be, right? Like they are a pretty bland bottom pairing assignment and they're going to make mistakes and you know i hope that brandon Gooley can come back soon because i think Jakob larson deserves to stick around and then maybe you see something different on that bottom pairing and, and i think holzer would be the guy to go down and then maybe you see larson at magna which has potential to be significantly better just because Jakob larson is there instead of Kerbinian holzer but i mean what you can't expect too much more from them right like this is a guy who's routinely been a seventh or eighth defenseman in Kerbinian holzer He's not going to give you too much on a nightly basis, and he's going to make mistakes like this. Yeah, when uh, Jason and I were at the game on Wednesday, he did try to go for two hip checks and missed both. So he he's, he's, he's just doesn't look like he's, I don't know, at NHL pace. I don't know what to say about him. He, he just doesn't look good. He, he hasn't looked good since he's, no, uh, Holzer. Well, yeah, Holzer's never really been a, been at an NHL pace. Like he's never been a guy. You're like, oh yeah, he can stick around in the league. Like he's he's always been that guy. He's yeah, always but that's been that. brutal, isn't it? When you're missing a fifth, sixth defenseman that you can't even count on for the limited minutes you play, it's it's just a tough spot for the Ducks because they're top four. Although they had they weren't you know haven't been all stars this season, but they had a much better game and have played much better hockey as of recently, especially Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm for the most part. So to see Magna and Holzer out there for three goals, and there was only three goals tonight, that's kind of a tough go for Anaheim. That, that's that's brutal. That's brutal that the Kings are able to victimize your bottom pair for, for the entire game. I mean, granted, the Ducks can't get offense moving. It sucks to see that your defensive pair out there that's on your bottom rung basically you know, be out there to get taken advantage of. Would it not be better at this point to see Suster or Dodgson up on that on that bottom pairing? Like, I would take Dodgson for in. sure. I would definitely take jo- Dodgson out on that bottom pair, wouldn't you? I don't know about Suster, yeah, but yeah, Dodgson, no, yeah. For, I would honestly, at times, rather, rather Suster there because Suster has shown that, at least in the past, that he's capable of being a, a six or a seven more than Kerbinian Holzer. And, and I think they, they provide a similar impact, maybe a different style of game. But I would definitely take Dodgson. And, and it's interesting that you see all these guys that were brought in. Luke Shen, obviously not part of the team anymore. Delzado, not part of the team. Dodgson and, and Suster are both with San Diego. And I, you know, I don't know if either of them are hurt right now, and that's maybe why we haven't seen too much of them. But either way, you, you had four guys at one point that, that could have been rotating in and out of that bottom pairing. Two are still here, two are no longer here. And you still have Andy Walensky down there, who's a significant improvement 
over uh, Kribinian Holzer. And I know you need a guy like Walensky down there in San Diego, and you still need guys in San Diego because they want to be competitive this year. But at this point, like any of those guys we listed that are still in the organization are probably better options than Holzer right now. Yeah. And if you send Holzer down, I, I think he, I, I think he's at that point where he'll have to clear waivers again. I don't think, I, I think he's past the threshold. So even if you send him down, nobody's going to claim him. Like nobody's looking for a Kribinian Holzer at this point in the season. And if they did, it's not the end of the world. So I, I don't know what the, the thought process is there. I know that, you know, the Ducks aren't competing. So again, it's not the end of the world. That Holzer is, is your number six right now. It's not like you're making a playoff push. They were they they've been pretty much out of it for you know since Christmas anyway. Right. But it, it's disappointing to see him still there and making mistakes when you have some guys that I would rather see down in San Diego and at least give him another shot. Well, let's talk about the the first goal for the Ducks. Getzloff able to get the puck out from behind the net from Jonathan Quick. Quick does a really piss poor job behind the net of moving the puck out of his zone. Getzloff picks it, able to find Sprong out in front of the net. All of a sudden, you got a time game or a tight game. I mean, Sprong really had, you know, just an open net to shoot the puck in. So good play by him. But Getzloff really made that happen for him, along with Quick, of course. Back to back games where two <laughs> two goalies who have uh, normally in the past been good puck handlers and Price and Quick making mistakes handling the puck, and the Ducks have had wide open nets against Montreal. It was Troy Terry digging the puck out, getting it to Adam Henrique, and in this case, it was Getzloff digging the puck out and getting it to Daniel Sprong. And uh, he keeps showing why he should be in the lineup, right? I mean, this is a goal you have to score if you have an open net, but he's still in the position to, to put the puck in the back of the net. And, you know, he, he just keeps doing it. Anytime he's in the lineup, he, he looks dangerous. You know, I know the, the defensive issues are a worry for the Ducks, and that's why he's been a healthy scratch at times. But, again, he, he's making a case like a lot of guys to stick around and be a part of this team next year, not get traded in the offseason or, or not, you know, have to be – buried in the minors at the beginning of next year you know he's making a case that he he wants to be a part of this top nine and and right now i'd say he's making a pretty good case because he has been one of the better forwards for the ducks since coming over from pittsburgh and you know obviously jacob silverberg is a guy we talk about and adam henrique and i'm talking purely goal scoring obviously you know the the ducks have been lacking that this year but when you look at silverberg and henrique being you know, Silverberg's been the five-on-five guy and the all-situations guy. Henrik's been the power play guy when it comes to goals. And then Daniel Sprong's just getting it done in all situations similar to what Silverberg's doing. So He's a play driver. He's one of those guys you want to have out uh, on the ice. I, I don't know if he's a play driver. Like, he's he's not going to drive play for a line. But he, he gets in those positions, and he has a shot that teams have to worry about. And I think they're starting to realize that, similar to what Silverberg has. No, Silverberg shot I mean, he did get chirped by Carey Price after Price stopped him on a partial breakaway. I didn't see that last night. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we've always <laughs> talked about, about Silverberg's shot being you know, oh, one of the quicker releases Sylvie, in the yeah. league. It's a little bit inconsistent, but Daniel Spong has a shot similar that you have to worry about. Like, he, when he gets full, uh, full control of that shot, full control of the puck, generally can put it wherever he wants. And we've seen that at times. We saw that against Montreal. He was kind of skating and, and on one foot, like kind of falling a little bit. And then he fires it through a Canadian's player, top corner, far side, on one of the better goalies in the league. So, like, he has that ability. Better you just have to... In the league. I don't know, man. Well, <laughs> we're right. not going to get into if Terry right. Price is one of the better goalies in the league. But, you know what I mean? Daniel Sprong has a good shot. <laughs> and if he keeps utilizing the way he is, he has a yep. good chance to stick around. I, I mean, got why you. not? I, I, I yeah, I can't agree with you more on that. I hope he doesn't get benched going down the stretch here because there really is no reason to. Like 
leave the guy out there. He's a young kid. Um, let, let's see what he can do here, especially because he's playing with, with upper echelon players in the Ducks. And so I really feel like that's an opportunity for him to prove his worth, right? He's got another year on his contract. Why not? Um, yeah. Well, how many games has he been on the top line? Two? Yeah. And he's he hasn't gotten a lot of looks. Games? I can't imagine. He's, yeah. But he's, he's got goals in back-to-back games being on the top line. So he's you know, he's taking it. We talk about guys taking advantage of playing with Ryan Getzlaff. Daniel Sprong has done that for two games, right? Like, he hasn't played with Getzlaff too much this year. I mean, Corey Perry's made a living out of it. Why not Why not let yeah. someone else do it? So. And Ricard Raquel for the last yeah. couple seasons has yeah. been that guy. And it, and there's guys in the past who haven't worked. Richie's been on that line, and it hasn't worked. So if you're, if you're a guy that can work with Getzlaff, and, and they seem like the perfect pairing of guys to put together. Yeah, see, Getzlaff I'm glad you guy. said that because it's not, it's, it's not a negative you know, chirp at a player no. for us to say like, "Oh, glad you work with Getzloff." Like, "Oh, it's it's great you take advantage of Getzloff being on line." It's like you can say whatever you want about that top line, but it, it, not everyone can play with uh, with uh, with high level skill like that at center. You have to have finishers, and Corey Perry is somebody who can generate offense. I'm not putting down Corey Perry, although he had a really suspect game today, which we'll get to in here in a minute. But Daniel Sprong, put him at the top line. Give him all the opportunity in the world. Like, and Raquel, right? I mean, you want to get these guys as many yeah. opportunities and confidence building up for the offseason. I think the difference, too, is because Silverberg's been on that top line and it hasn't worked. And I think the difference in, in you know, Sprong and Silverberg have a similar shot, and it's a very deadly, quick-release shot. But the problem is Silverberg is a two-way player. He's not offense only. He'll focus more on the defensive side. He's not always in those perfect positions that Getzloff is looking for, right? Sprong is. He's generally offense first, and that's why he's been healthy scratched at times this year. But that's almost the best guy to put with Ryan Getzlaff because eventually Sprong's going to be in a perfect position for a Getzlaff pass, and he's got the finishing ability to put it away. And, you know, again, we're not criticizing Sprong for being that type of guy that needs Ryan Getzlaff because there's been guys who haven't worked with Ryan Getzlaff. We talked about how Nick Ritchie hasn't worked with Ryan Getzlaff, and there's, there's a plenty of guys. Silverberg hasn't worked with Getzlaff. The list goes on. There's, there, there's, always, there's always been question marks on, on one of the, the sides of the wing, usually the left wing for Getzlaff over the past. There's been a rotation of guys who've gone up there and it hasn't worked. Yeah, I mean, strong... it, no, and if you want to talk about, like, upper echelon centers or elite-level centers, I mean, the second-best center in the league next to Austin Matthews is Sidney Crosby, and... It, it took the the penguins a long time to find wingers to play with him, so it's just kind of the way it goes. You just kind of you got to throw that in there, right? <laughs> Second best center, to Austin Matthews. All right, let's let's move on. Let's move on. All right, so we got through the Brown goal, Getzoff goal, Clifford goal. Let's talk about the Grundstrom goal because I okay. Just to clarify here, I was in the middle of uh, doing some. Um, Family duty, cooking dinner, going back okay, and forth this, watching the game. Okay, that sounded like it was going in a different direction. No, there. it was not a different direction. <laughs> so I'm going back and forth to the TV. I finally sit down. I sit down and I see this goal get scored. And then all I see is Magna getting stood up at the blue line. Where the hell was his defensive partner on this play? Where? where what okay. happened? Who yeah, was it? I, I, I don't know. I, I rewound I no and idea. tried to find it. I was like, did the broadcast not show the full play? Because I'm like, where? what happened? Why is Magna the only defender there? Why is Perry in front of Ryan Miller at this point? I couldn't figure out what the hell happened on this play, other than a great passing play by the Kings and Grunstrom finished it off. I mean, I don't know what you want to say beyond that on the offensive side for the Kings, but defensively, what the hell is going on there, Ducks? I went back and looked at it a couple times to see if 
you know, where who was out there with Magna, and I feel like it was just a line change gone wrong, oh. and, and there was some kind of miscue there, and Magna was the only guy back. And somehow Grunstrom finds himself in. It's a great area pass to get to Grunstrom in the first place, and he makes a nice move to get around Miller, but he has all the time in the world to make that move. And this is a guy similar to how we talked about Sprong and Terry and Jones needing to prove themselves. This is a guy who has to prove himself for the Kings right now. Uh-huh. now this is his second game. He's got goals in back-to-back games since getting called up from the AHL, and and he made them pay. And But, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I can't fathom or understand who was with Magna and where they were. I rewound and watched that like four times. Even my kid was like, didn't you see the Kings score already? I was like, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see what happened. (laughs) Normally you can go back and find it. This is one of the few times I've gone back and maybe like we're just missing something and all you guys think we're idiots and you found it, but or you're at the like, game and you watch the whole play develop. You're like moron. You guys didn't see it. We need, we need Jason here to, cause he was at the game, but yeah, I, I, this is one of the first times I've gone back, well, three, four, five times, looked at it, couldn't find who was out there with Magna, and uh, I, I have no idea, but it allowed Grunstrom to get in and, and get the Kings' third goal, and the broadcast at this point was talking about how this is the two lowest goal-scoring teams in the league, Ugh. and it's 3-1 after the in the first period, and then they jinxed it because the rest of the game was like the two lowest goal-scoring teams in the league. Yes. No, that was brutal. So, Kings making a 3-1 game. Go to the second period. No scoring in the second period. But we've got to talk about the one chance that was <laughs> the fans even booed. Ryan Getzloff and Ricard Raquel get a 2-on-1. <laughs> and, of course, there's a rookie, Wah, is in the middle of the ice def- playing defense for the Kings. Able to read the fact that Ryan Getzloff, although he's not even looking at Raquel, knows he's going to pass the puck. Is able to intercept that pass and break up the entire play. Whole arena starts booing here. By the way, and a sellout. Pull this up. Yeah, there was I'm, a I'm sellout to tonight. And then everyone. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, okay. We're not going to get into sellouts. <laughs> I just love That's, it. Arena take it. It's not a kick at the Ducks. Up. It's not a kick at the Ducks. I love the Ducks, but it was every a sellout. Team does it. it was pretty every empty. Team, pretty every empty. team reports tickets as as tickets sold and then okay but there was here, enough booze the... there to fill up the empty seats that was bad the raquel and getzloff I... definitely got booed on that play <laughs> yeah i pulled up the uh the getzloff pass the worst thing about this is the, the, the how far getzloff gets in where he's got nobody on him no he has like, nobody both, he should have ripped the shot both, yeah both wa and the back checking forward are i think it's, it might be jeff carter i don't see enough for the replay to actually see the number but i you know, they both know he's going to pass. They yeah. both know he's going to pass. So Ricard Raquel is pretty much covered by Wah. It's a great you know cover of the pass by him to get the stick in the lane. And then Carter also backchecking tries to get the stick in the lane. Gensloff should just shoot this. Like We say this all the time, but this is one of those where he had no pass. He didn't even have a sliver of a pass. He would have had to pass either under Wah's stick Really, through, really yeah, through the triangle, through the feet and the and the stick is the only spot. Yeah, or saucer pass it over the stick that's about two inches off the ice. There's no way that's going to land in time for Ricard Raquel is about four or five feet away from him. I mean this this is typical Ryan Getzlaff. We see this all the time, so you can't you know you, you can't be too surprised. About no, it and he admits it. He says I I'm always been a pass for his guy. I know, it but it it baffles me. Like I understand, like you're so used to it, and you have such a great passing ability, you go for the pass. But like, come on, like he even looks for the shot. He looks at the net for quick, and Quick's doing a good job of, of challenging the shot and letting his defenseman take the pass. But even so, Getzlaff probably had enough move or enough room to make a move. 
to go in and deke maybe forehand to backhand or back or uh, backhand to forehand or at least try and make a move like that's how much room and how much space Wah was giving him and there was no way that Carter was going to catch him from behind so I mean again typical Ryan Getzlaff but that's one of the worst ones I've seen from him in a while on a two-on-one where he did make the pass no and he's been I mean kind of quiet since he's gotten back into the lineup offensively right he hasn't been a dominant force so it's also the end of the year. We got 12 games left. Maybe either like, let's just tank it. I mean, Team Tank, baby. Team Tank. I mean, I wish it was a this little was more a exciting than, 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 than Friday. I mean, yeah. but if you're going to lose, I never root against losing to the Kings because I hate them. But, I mean, shoot, right now, <laughs> we, we, won I mean, the, uh, we won the game, essentially, to get... Okay, uh, yeah. To get the, the get the lower draft pick. No, I'm not saying that stupid yeah, hashtag. I thought, I thought I'm not saying that stupid hashtag everyone's talking about. It's hilarious. Yeah, it would have been, see, the, the problem is the Ducks have won a lot of their last uh, the one, yeah, three of their last four yeah, going into this yeah. game. So this game almost meant nothing because now they're only five points uh, ahead of the Kings instead of possibly being nine. They were seven. Now they're five. Could have been nine if they got the win. So and, and the Kings have a game in hand. So that could at most go down to three if the Kings win their last game. But I think the broadcast said the Kings had lost 13 of their last 14 games. It doesn't look <laughs> like they're going to win games. So, like, if anything, the Ducks have kept their hopes alive for uh, finishing in the bottom five because the Kings have 58, the Devils have 59, Detroit has 58, Ottawa has 52. All of them have 69 games played, so they can all pick up uh, two points on the Ducks if they win. But even so, the Ducks are still set, uh, two points out of fourth, uh, potentially, if all these teams win, and uh, three points out of uh, bottom three. And then, uh, like I said, uh, possibly another three points out of bottom two. And then you're not catching Ottawa. So, like, they've, they've kind of got some ground a little bit and made up some ground in, in the tank. But winning those the, those four of the last five have hurt them. <laughs> as fun as those games were, and as fun as Montreal has been, this game, I think, you're looking at it at the beginning of the month, even halfway through the month, you're like, oh, man, both of these games are going to be so close to the bottom, and they're going to be within, like, a point of each other, and this game is going to make all the difference uh, on who's going to finish last. Now it looks like it's possibly going to be the watch party game. Oh, this, well, I'm excited for dubbed, that then. This was dubbed the jack-off. I don't know. This was, like, the warm-up. Because <laughs> March 23rd could be the real jack-off. Because Ugh, both of these stop, teams could be a lot, closer, a lot closer in points. Stop but, the I, Brad and Chad hashtag right now, please. Not not a fan. <laughs> just a, You're not a fan of that, but you're a fan of the Carolina Hurricanes celebration. I absolutely am. 100%. 100%. 100% on board with that team this year making that playoff push, man. They've, they've been killing it lately. Let's get to the third period, because holy hell, we spent 33 minutes on this game, and we haven't gotten to the end. Jacob Silverberg, Eddie breaks through. Ducks cycling it down low. Kind of sloppy, but able to make the play work. Puck gets to the front of the net, and Jonathan Quick goes to sprawl and cover. Of course, Corey Perry's only good shift in the third period. One of his very few shifts in the third period. Able to poke the puck free. Gets it over to Silverberg. He's able to walk out in front as the puck goes behind the net. He walks out in front and is able to roof it because Dion Phaneuf can't skate and falls down behind the net. Quick goes bananas, by the way. This guy flips out because he's a gigantic baby all the time. It's not like he's in a playoff spot. It's not like this is a playoff game. It's not like they're close to being good. 
but he still flips out in this game as if he got robbed of a save, which he didn't really even cover. And the Ducks are able to pull within one goal. But uh, John of the Quick is a gigantic baby, and I will never stop being happy about that. Yeah, that, that's typical for John of the Quick. We've seen this. This is a bad goal, too, not only for him to let in, but also, like, the Kings just let Silverberg walk out from behind the net. Well, Fanoff can't skate. Position he just shoot. fell. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, I mean, Silverberg lately, the last five games, he's got a five-game point streak now. Uh-huh. He's got he's got three goals and four assists over those five games, and uh, he's been excellent since signing that contract officially. I think like I think this came this streak is right after officially signing the contract. I believe it got announced on like March second instead of the first, second, or third, and his point streak extends back to the third against Colorado, and and he's been one of the reasons the Ducks have won. Uh, three of the last dude, right now, a, a little bit of five. a uh, a little bit of a sneak peek at our bonus show tomorrow, but. Bob Murray loves Jacob Silverberg. Oh, we know loves that. Loves him. Absolutely loves the guy. Loves him very much. Loves the fact he's going to be here long term. Loves the fact he's producing. Loves the fact he loves the young guys coming up on this team. So, makes sense why he's here. It's good to see Silverberg performing, though, because you sign that kind of deal, you have to produce, and he did. So, he's been I mean, I, role, I love the guy, too. I love the guy, too, because he... He provides so much to a team who's going to be competitive. You know, goal scoring is consistent, or should be a consistent twenty goal scorer for the rest of his career, for most of his career, and he's reliable defensively. You know, he's one of the more valuable players you can have on on those teams. You look at any team who's won a championship; they have one or two of those guys on their team. You know, Pittsburgh's guy like that is Patrick Hornquist. He's he's a similar type guy, maybe a little bit more edge to him than Silverberg. But you have those guys who not only can score twenty plus goals, but they're also good in their own end. And every team needs that guy, so I get why. And GMs love those guys because you don't have to worry about them. There's no real flaw. They don't have a A plus strength to their game. You know what I mean? They're not an elite goal scorer. They're not one of the top defensive players in the league. But there's no holes really. They've got everything. They're like at least decent. I mean, like a jack of all trades, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. So GMs love those guys because they don't have to worry about them. They don't have to worry about, like, like Daniel Sprong, you got to worry about defense for them. That's why you, you bench him. Pontus Aver, you got to worry about defense. Other guys, you, you know they're going to be good defensively, but you got to worry about offense. Brian Gibbons was, was a guy like that. You know, good defensively, good on the penalty kill. On offense, couldn't do anything. Silverberg, you don't have to worry about that. So I, I'm not surprised that, that Bob Murray loves him. And the way, especially the way he's been producing lately, you know, he's been one of the yeah. only Ducks, other than him and Troy Terry, who have been producing consistently. Terry didn't get any points in this game. But still, I mean, Silverberg is an excellent player. And I was happy to see him get on the board. I, I do want to see him hit hit 20 goals. He's one short. I'm sure in the next 12 games he's going to be able to get another one the way he's playing. Wouldn't be surprised to see it happen in the next game. Tough one against Nashville. But if anybody's going to score right now, it's going to be him. Well, let's get to the end of the game here. The Kings wrap it up 3-2. to two. Uh, the leader in expected goals for the Ducks, by the way, 5-5 five five was my boy, Hampus Lindholm. Just a little shout-out to my boy there. Um, Got to give him some mad respect. He always has a solid game for the most part, right? He has very few games where Hampus gets caught. So he's been cleaning up his game. I appreciate that. Um, Eddie, the Ducks are back on the tank wagon just in time for your arrival here in about two weeks. Are you excited? I, I am. I mean... I, I wish uh, I was down there for the draft lottery. We could do something for that, but uh, I mean, you could be. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll uh, <laughs> more more than likely, we'll uh, we'll be doing something on Twitch for the for the the mm-hmm. draft lottery instead. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, it will make that game on the Sunday and the 23rd against the Kings that much more important for different reasons. And Saturday it's so the funny. 23rd. Saturday the 23rd. Saturday. I keep calling it. I keep saying it's a Sunday. But, I yeah, know. Saturday, Canada's Saturday, on a different planet. I get it. Yeah, no, exactly. But that game, it's so interesting because the Kings and Ducks rivalry over the last, what, five or ten years has been all about playoff position, making a push. Who's going to win the Pacific Division? It, it, it still had some nastiness to it, but it has such a different meaning right now. Obviously, these teams aren't purposely losing, but for fans, it's completely different. Yep. You had a lot of Ducks fans that were rooting for the Ducks to lose. For the first time, I think I've ever seen the Ducks playing the Kings that you still you actually had fans for once rooting for them to lose. You know, even and, and there's again, there's nothing wrong with being a casual fan, really. Like, I mean, any having any fan of, the, of a, a Ducks fan is great, but. Even when the Ducks were good and playing the Kings, you never really had even casual fans being like, oh, I hope they lose for this reason or that reason. And it's so different now because of what's at stake at the bottom of, of the draft this year, especially for the Ducks and for the Kings, trying to make this as quick a, a turnaround as they can. There was even a chant in the 400 upper levels that said, we both suck. Ducks and Kings fans chanting, we both suck. When is, when's the last time the Ducks and Kings fans have come together over something? When is the last time that has ever happened, right? Like, that's never happened. In the history of me being a Ducks fan, which is probably 20-plus years now, I've never been at a game where Kings and Ducks fans have gotten eye-to-eye on anything. And Not along at all. At all. At <laughs> all, ever. Like, I've seen fights in the 400s. I've seen fights in the 200s. I've seen all that crap, you know, being talked all, talked about in the bathrooms and the hallways, all that. It's a, it's amazing, and it's it truly is very heartwarming to see both fan bases able to come together tonight and say we both suck as a chant in the 400 level. So kudos it's to Keith. It's not heartwarming. Heartwarming. It's it's sad and pathetic that we're. At I mean, this to point me, together. it's heartwarming. But I mean, you say what you it's want. It's so sad and pathetic that we're we're both at this point <laughs> at the same time. That we're, we 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 both just suck so bad that both fan bases just kind of embraced it, and are, are in the same position where they both just want to go for Jack Hughes, and it's always nice to. For, hey man, but I mean honestly, there's a lot of media out there, whether it's amateur, or professional, whether it's like us or like guys in athletic that, you know, you're a Ducks fan or you're a Kings fan or whatever fan you are, but I mean through good times and bad, you still want to enjoy the hockey and. If yeah. you want to, you you got to be able to derive positives out of everything, and there is a positive coming out of this. You see the kids playing, lots of minutes tonight for the Ducks again. Troy Terry trying to create again. Max Jones got his monkey off his back in the last game against Montreal. Back into tonight, uh, the Ducks just weren't. They, they, they didn't have it tonight. They just no. didn't have it tonight at all. The Kings dominated possession the entire game. It's just one of those games. But the positives are, we have a lot of young prospects coming up that are showing their worth. And, you know, honestly, getting a high draft pick, and even Murray admitted it, uh, in the brec- the breakfast, the pancake, holy shit, pancake was the this hot big. Stove, the pancake was that, this big. They called it a hot stove. This big. This was the pancake. And we only got two pieces of bacon and a pancake. It was That's the worst it? breakfast ever. Oh, oh it was brutal. No, nothing. Um, was anyway. it warm? <laughs> they were, no, they weren't. The butter uh, didn't melt on the they pancakes. They beforehand. They were made it was they definitely made two hours before you got there. It was bad. It was very bad. But uh, the bacon was good. Pancakes bad. Uh, coffee was good too. But uh, anyway, it was a good time. So that was all that mattered there. But honestly, I mean, I'm not going to be negative Nancy here. Look, we've done that enough this season through the losing streak and all that crap. When we thought the Ducks were actually better than they should have been, then we finally realized they weren't really that good. 
and the coaching was bad, yada, yada, yada. You guys have all heard this story all year. The good news is there's so many young players in this team that are coming up to fill the middle of the lineup. And that's exactly what we need. We need to refresh. We need people to step in for the old guys. We need the old guys to move out faster than they probably can be moved out, which is another problem we can get to later in another show. But uh, that's why we're looking for this high draft pick. That's why well, this the, whole the ideal, thing. The ideal development time, too, is perfect. Like, it's on pace perfectly. Like, you know, for Comtois and Terry and Jones and for Lundestrom and all of them to ideally develop to the point where, you know, you're, you're confident in their ability and what they're going to be able to do long term. Like, these guys, I'm talking to being around, like, 22, 23. That's about three years out. Well, guess whose contracts come off the books yep. in about three years? Getzlaff, Perry, and eventually Kessler as well. You go through another expansion draft, you possibly lose another contract in Adam Henrique or Jakob Silverberg. So you then free up all this cap space. You can go make moves if you need to fill some holes that you didn't get to fill in the draft. And then you've also got three years of drafts to try and fill those holes organically and bring in some good young players. So, I mean... This is the perfect time if you want, you know, if you want to make this retool and do it effectively. It's it's great. It's great timing for everything. And you know, I feel I feel like you know we're talking about the similarities between the Ducks and the Kings. I feel like Kings fans are in a similar position right now. They totally are. Because hundred percent. You know, they, they are. You know, again, everybody's getting together and chanting, "We both suck." But then you know, we talk about our kids coming up and Terry and Jones and, and everybody coming up and, and playing an important role and Brendan Gooley coming over. You know, they get a kid in the Muzzin trade. In Grunstrom, who we talked about, who He's comes up good. and has goals. He's Grunstrom's got goals in back-to-back good. games. And they've got some good young prospects. Jared Anderson Dolan, Gabriel Velarde, if he can ever get healthy. You know, they've got to kill Thomas in the OHL. Like they've, They're in the same spot, maybe a little bit behind in the development of their prospects. They're about a year or two behind the Ducks, some of the prospects they have. But, yeah, you know, the Ducks and the Kings are now in, in similar position. I think the Ducks are a little bit better when you look at a retool that their stars – a little bit older, and, and their contracts come up a little bit sooner because Kopitar and Dowdy are still going to be on the books for L.A. for a while. And but I, they're I both still good. Like, Dowdy's still well, really good. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, these teams have, have paralleled each other. They were both very successful. Obviously, the Kings a bit more so winning Stanley Cups, but they were competitive for about the same period of time. The Kings trailed off a little bit sooner than the Ducks did, not by too much, by about a season or two. And now they're going to be bad for a while together until they until they get to the same point where, again, they'll probably be competitive together at the same time. And yep. honestly, as, as a Ducks fan and as a Kings fan, it's kind of how you want it to be. You want I mean, why wouldn't you? You want, yeah, you want you the want focus the on Southern California. Well, you also want the games between these two teams to matter. Yep. As, much, as funny as it is to see the Kings suck and the Ducks do well, when they come into town, you want this game to mean something. You want it to be for for important points at the t- at the top of the division or the top of the conference, right? You want it to be for playoff positioning. It it, it makes the games that much better. It makes mm-hmm. the passion between the between the players and the hatred between the players that much better in the game. So it's great that both teams can get on board with both with them tanking, and it, it's great that they have similar trajectories that they're going to be good again at about the, about the same time. Hopefully, the Ducks can flip the script and be the better team and, and go and, and pursue. Oh, of course cups. we want that. We don't want to, we don't want to bless the Kings with anything no. that's good, but we just would love yeah. these games to matter because that brings the playoff intensity, the rivalry intensity, and it makes it more fun to watch hockey. Honestly, it's the way it goes. No, exactly. And you know, both teams are getting high draft picks this year. You know, of course we hope the Kings don't get one or two because oh, it really no. is. It, it's, it's one of those drafts again, where, you see this, you know, every other year, pretty much, where one and two guaranteed, 
Hughes and Kako this year. And um, Matthews and Line a year is Matthews Line. I believe made a little bit of push, but never got really close. Yeah, it's same this year. It's, it's one, two, and then three to ten. They're all about the same skill level. So you know, if the Ducks finish three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, doesn't really matter at this point. You're gonna still get a player who's likely or projected at least to be the same caliber at four as you do at seven. Yeah. It all depends positionally and what you want and and what you think of that player. Because there will be teams who value maybe. I'll pull a name over my head here, Trevor Zegras or Alex Turcott, who projected around 6, 7, or 8, more than they do Dylan Cozens, who's projected to go 3 or 4. At that point, it, it all depends on your scouting staff and who you value more. But if you have 1 or 2, you're taking Jack Hughes 1, you're taking Capo Caco 2, and that's what the Ducks should be aiming for right now. Because I mean, And yeah, Bob Murray even said in his uh, breakfast, and I will quote it every time I say that, that he's taking the best player available in round 1 to round 2. So, best player available yeah. is what's going to get stacked in Anaheim. That's yeah. just the way it and goes. that's best player to their scouting staff. And I trust the scouting staff more than probably any in the league. And when they say they're taking the best player available, generally that means when you look back at it in five years, that's probably going to be the best player available that they could have got of that draft other than maybe a guy that goes in the third or fourth round who ends up turning into a gem a la like braided point or somebody like that who ends up just or in the first round you get like a you get like a seven and then like the guy hits an 11 gets becomes a better star just happens sometimes right you still get a good player but but the ducks generally do well enough that you're like you know ricard raquel they said Mm -hmm. at the time best player available probably was the best player available when you look at the guys who went before him and the guys who went after him Right, and and the same goes for Sam Steele. If you look back at it, he was one of the best players available there. Maxim Comtois, one of the best players available at the second round. The Ducks do this a lot, sometimes frustratingly so, because they they ignore positional needs and they go out and, and stack up. For a long time, it was defense, just continued to stack up on defense, not because they needed it, but because those were the best players they thought were available. Uh, but it, it generally works out for them where they get the better player. I just hope this year that if they get a top pick, a top five, that they don't go best player available in center, draft. Center position, You please. need a center. You need a center. <laughs> and luckily for them, the majority of players in that top half, in that top ten, are centers. And the only defensemen I can see creeping in there are for teams that need defensemen. So I just hope the Ducks don't value a Bowen Byram or a Philip Broberg and say, oh, he's our best player available on our list here, so we're going to take him over a center. Because this draft, they really need a center that I, mean, I don't know if I don't want to say replace Ryan Getzloff, but can be a top line first, a guaranteed first line center for this team. That's what they need, and they need it in this draft at the top end of this draft. We'll have to see what happens with that. But uh, let's get to the last bit before we get to fan questions. We're right about the 50 minute mark on tonight's show, so we got to finish up here. We have both Corey Perry and Ryan Kessler to talk about. Kessler, like I said in the pre show. He hit the 1,000-game mark on Wednesday night. Uh, doesn't play Friday against the Habs. Doesn't play tonight. Do you feel like this is kind of like a shutdown time for Kessler? Go go figure out what you got going on, man. Like You battled through all this. You got through all the adversity. Got to 1,000 games through two lockouts, as his agent said in the athletic article that I read from Eric Stevens. And all the injuries. I mean, over 100 playoff games. I mean, this guy's a warrior. And as yeah. much as you and I and Jay have gotten kind of, I mean, more, more so you and I than Jay. Jay's, Jay is not a negative guy whatsoever. But you and I have been down on him 
and it suggested buyout options, suggested maybe, hey, it's time for a, uh, Isaac Lindstrom or Sam Steele to come and take the position away from Ryan Kessler. Is it shutdown time for, for Kessler for this year and see what he has to bring in the summer? Because I kind of feel it, like it, it should is. be. Yeah. There's 12 games left, and those 12 games are going to be meaningless for the Ducks. And it, it, again, they've announced it's his hip. And and if at this point, if Ryan Kessler goes out with any injury, you 90% of the time it's going to be his hip, or 99% of the time it's going to be his hip, because that's the the major issue that he has. And yeah, the 12 games is not a lot. Let this guy is not, not vying for the thousand. He hit it. He hit the milestone. Has nothing left to prove this year. Nothing left to go for. The Ducks don't have anything left to compete for. I know the guy, you know, Ryan Kessler is a guy that's going to want to play if he can play. But somebody's got to be in his ear and be like, hey, man. It's And hopefully it's the trainers or, or Bob Murray or somebody. But it's like, hey, it would be better for you to just not come back this year for your health, to make sure you're 100% and that you can actually play next year. Don't go out there on a, a not 100% hip. Play, you know, the remaining 10 games of the season, grind it out, and then risk getting injured even more. Or, or, you know, getting to the point where you won't be ready for the start of next year. It, it would make no sense to me at this point to bring him back if he's clearly having issues, which he's missed two games, so he's clearly having issues, right? Like, at, at this point, let him sit out, shut him down for the rest of the season. The Ducks are more than capable of filling that fourth-line center role for the end of the year, which they're doing right now. And if they need to call guys up, they can. They, they have the ability to call Sam Steele back up if they need to to at least provide some support until the, the duck season is over. I mean, why rush him? Why rush Kessler? He, he deserves the break. Let him take the rest of the year off. You're not making the playoffs, and by God, if you're Bob Murray, you hope to God your team doesn't find a way to squeak in whatsoever. So let's just hope that doesn't happen. Uh, it looks, it's looking more and more like nights like tonight, like it's not going to, which is good news for Anaheim. They want the high draft pick. Um, they want to see what their young players can provide. So just let's... Let's just let Ryan Kessler deserve the break. Give him the next month off and then all the rest of the season to figure things out over the summer, get healthy for training camp. I have no problem with Ryan Getzel, or Ryan Getzel, Ryan Kessler used in a limited role in the third and fourth line. Do you? I, I mean, I really don't. No, no, for sure. And, but if he's 100% healthy, then, yeah, if he, can, if he comes back this year, I hope to God it's because he's having no issues and, and he's – I don't want to say he's 100% because I don't think he's ever going to be 100%. But he's at a point where he's not risking injuring it more by coming exactly. back. Exactly. Don't risk if, the injury. If he's if he's at that point, and and the training staff and the medical staff says, yeah, you're fine, then sure, come back. I don't mind him coming back. But I don't think he's at that point clearly because he's missed two games. I don't think you know all of a sudden he's just going to come back and be okay. And the, the duck season is a lost cause. There's no need for him to come back and grind it out. So just say, hey, man, like. Take an early vacation. Take the time off. Relax. Rest up. Get prepared for next season. Because you're still going to be a part of this team. I don't think they're going to buy him out. Unfortunately so. No. And as much as I love Ryan, Ryan Kessler, this is the type of guy who's a prime buyout candidate. And the, the, with the new CBA coming in, not for about, I think, in 2021, that compliance buyout is going to be after Ryan Kessler's contract is up. So it's not going to really be viable for a player like Ryan Kessler. So, you know, it... It would make sense, but I, I think for him, he's not going to get bought out. So just take the rest of the year off and uh, be ready for next year. All right, let's talk about Corey Perry before we get to fan questions. He only played the entire game, and he played under 10 minutes tonight. All situations, 
9.46. He saw just a handful of shifts in the third period. Is there an injury here? Did you see anything happen to Corey Perry? In today's game? No, I didn't. Did how many yeah. minutes did he play? 9.46. The whole He game. was on the fourth line, though. He was on the fourth line. How much did Rowney play and uh, Grant play? So Rowney played 13 minutes and Grant played under 9. Uh, he played just over 9, 9.01. Yeah, no, I, I I don't think it's an injury. He played most of the night on the fourth line, and uh, he was not out there in the final minutes for the Ducks. They decided At all. Sprung, yeah, Henry, nothing going left, on. Which I'm not surprised, because I don't think, honestly, Bob Murray is happy with this play. You don't demote a guy to the fourth line and bring up Daniel Sprong, a guy who you've healthy scratched, if you're happy with the play of Corey Perry. You don't do that. You know, He was obviously upset with Daniel Sprong, and then made the decision to bring him back on, bump Corey Perry off that top line, and put Sprong there, and take Perry not down to the second or third line, all the way down to the fourth to play with Rowney and uh, and Derek Grant. So he's clearly not happy with his play. So him playing nine minutes doesn't surprise me tonight, especially when you look at Derek Grant also playing around the same. And the only reason Rowney over the entire game probably has more because he played on the penalty kill, and they let, the, the Kings had three power plays tonight. So that's where he gets the inflated minutes from. Uh, other than that, he probably would have played around nine minutes too. So I, I think it's just, you know, uh, right now Bob Murray's not happy with the play of Corey Perry for for a good reason, and he's just not playing minutes because of it. I wonder if that is the case though, because I looked at his individual stats analytically, and he's he's getting chances, he's just not converting. You think it's the conversion that's causing the problem for him? Does Bob Murray strike you as a guy who looks at the analytics and says, "Oh, you're playing well. Let me reward you for that." <laughs> he doesn't, right? Like he's never your answer to fire back at me is like you had that on the tip of your tongue. You were just like waiting for me to pull the analytics argument out for Corey Perry, and you're like, "Does does Bob Murray even have any idea?" No, he probably doesn't. He probably, you know, he probably has an idea to exist, but he does not strike me as a guy who his first thought is to go to his analytics department, look at what Corey Perry is doing, and say, oh, he is playing better. He's more, looks to me as a... If he's they have the one. If they even yeah. have an analytics department. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. But he's a, he strikes me as a guy who looks and sees the product that Corey Perry is producing on the ice, which isn't that great. Yes, he scored in the game against Montreal, but he got kind of lucky on that play. Yeah. Wide open. He overthought it too much, got lucky that it squeaked through Carey Price. Other than that, he hasn't really played that well. And it's been obvious to see, not just to us, but clearly to the guy who's behind the bench because now he's demoted him to the fourth line. So, yeah, I, you know, Corey Perry maybe isn't as bad as the, the eye test shows, but Bob Murray obviously isn't happy because of it. So, and he, again, he does not, he's not a guy for me that focuses on 100% on analytics. If you're Kyle Dubas, maybe you give Corey Perry another shot. If you're a Cheka, maybe you give Corey Perry another shot. Or if you're a different general manager, maybe a more forward-thinking general manager, you give Corey Perry a shot in the top half of your lineup. But you don't put a guy like that with the contract that he has and the history that he has on the fourth line if you're happy with his production. Yeah. No, that's very true. Um, Corey Perry's probably got a lot of converting to do before he gets a, he gets back in Bob Murray's good graces. You're right. But let's get to the questions. We have a few questions here from fans. We have some left over from uh, last game. So you want to hop on those first? Do you have those ready, or do you want me to grab the new ones here? Yeah, I got the one from last game. It was from Yosip on Instagram. Uh, we missed it because it was in our, our uh, Instagram DMs. 
Um, so if you want to ask us a question on Instagram, you can do it that way, but we might miss it. The best way is to check our story during the game and just reply to the questions there. But uh, they said it may be too early to ask, but what the heck do you guys think we lost Randy too soon? It seems like all we're doing is putting ourselves in a bad position for the draft. So, so he means, did we lose Randy too soon because now we're winning games and not tanking? <laughs> uh, my my heart would say uh, yes, we did lose Randy too soon, but uh, the watchability factor of my brain would say no because we haven't seen this good of hockey from Anaheim all season, and it's been close. It's been tight hockey. They somehow emptied out that entire Heinz bottle of ketchup la- uh, last Friday with an eight to two victory over the Habs, and then forgot how to score, possess the puck tonight. So it's an off game for Anaheim. But yeah, to answer the question. It's been tough because if you're going to lose and not make the playoffs, you want to just tank as far as you can like Ottawa. But uh, we'll take what we got here. I, I feel like the Ducks are still going to get a good draft spot out of this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And, I mean, I I think, you know, it was more so a joke, if anything, for, for the question asking if we lost him too soon. Because the, the, you guys seem to think that it's changed significantly for the Ducks. I just think you, you lose the coach. You get some confidence. You're playing a little bit better. You've got maybe a little bit of a different style. But then you have games like this that look identical to how the Ducks played earlier this year. So not much has changed where they've gotten completely away from oh, the same style. Oh, come on. It's been more of a defensive change than anything. It's been yeah, more sure, of they're not, been they're not playing bit. one-on-one. They're playing more of a zone defense. The broadcast has reported that for sure. And you can see it's evident. There, there's no more swimming yeah. in the defensive zone. It's there, more of a, there a zone D. But a lot of the mistakes the players had were were because were, were on them. Cam Fowler just puck watching. A lot of guys just puck watching. That's not on the system. That's on mm-hmm. the players just being completely out of it and not really excited to show up to a game coached by Randy Carlisle. I know it's cliche to say that, but it's obvious when you see it. The, a, a guy puck watching has nothing to do with the system the coach has in place. And Randy Carlisle's system was horrible, but it was just demoralizing at that point, them just losing game after game after game. That's going to happen. And I think losing Randy Carlisle hasn't really changed too much, where the Ducks will still have games like this because they're still the same team. They play a little bit of a different style, nothing significantly better than what they were playing under Randy Carlisle, just enough that they can have some of these games where they play a little bit better. But then you're going to get this regression every now and then where things don't go right for them. And they look almost identical to the to the team that was playing earlier in the year and, and lose 3-2 against the Kings and only muster 20 shots. You know, that, yeah. that, that's just going to happen. Um, they also asked, do you think the guys would have had a shot at a deep cup run with a better coach? Or do you think the success they've had has been mostly circumstantial. That kind of touches on what I was just talking about. But. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter what coach we had this year. I feel like this team wasn't good enough to be, go on a deep cup run. I think if you put a better coach in here, maybe you find a way to squeak out eight wins more this season, right? Like maybe, maybe 16 more points out of this team and you, you squeak it to a wild card spot. But I, I don't feel like they're going to be in any – they would have been in, in any sort of position – to go on any sort of deep run for a Stanley Cup playoff, uh, to get to the conference final even, let alone a Stanley Cup final. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't think this team is good enough to go deep, but uh, maybe a few more wins, sure. But uh, you're talking about a big difference here when you're talking about being into the playoffs, like last year when we got swept, or competitive, right? When you go to the conference yeah. final, 
or semifinal. I, I don't think the Ducks were, were prepared to go deep this year, no matter what coach they had. No, I think you get a few more wins. But, yeah, the offense was still going to be an issue this year. It's still going to be a bottom-five offense in the league the way they're producing. That's not going to change, and it hasn't really changed since Randy Collin has been fired. You know, the only guy still producing, really, is Jakob Silverberg. Troy Terry is the other guy, and maybe Daniel Sprong. But Daniel Sprong and Silverberg have been the two guys producing all year. Ricard Raquel is still struggling. Corey Perry is still struggling. Ryan Getzlaff is still struggling. That hasn't changed, and that wouldn't have changed with the new coach uh, at the start of the season, I, I just I couldn't see them competing for the playoffs. They would have been marginally better than they are now. Um, Derek asked specifically about our bonus show tomorrow. Is it going to be live? Um, I don't know if we're going to do it live for Patreon people tomorrow. That That's might be toughie. tough. That's a toughie. But yeah, that, that that might be tough to do. Uh, I mean, we'll if it is, we'll let you know in the Discord if it's going to be live. Um, but I I would say not too likely that this one will be live. Because we have it, like we have to figure out something that works around our schedules tomorrow to even find out when we're going to record the show to begin yeah. with. So if we were going to go live, it would be last minute that we would let you know, and I'm not sure how many people would be available for it. But it's not out of the question. But we'll uh, we'll let you know in the in the Discord tomorrow. Um, Canadian girl on Instagram said, "Which kind of coach is Bob Murray? Player friendly or non-player friendly?" So Bob Murray is old school. Bob Murray is not player friendly. But I think he's kind of a mix right now. Because yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. He, he comes down from that high press box booth where he's able to see the game from way above 30,000 feet supervising like you're supposed to. When you're a manager, you have to see everything from above. And now that he's in the mix, he's in the weeds, he's getting to know people, getting to like people, you know, getting to figure out who works with who. He's figuring all that out right now. So I think he's more of a mix in between of like, He's the nice guy, but he's got to kind of be a hard ass. He comes from that generation of hard asses. So he's got to find that nice little mix in the middle that works for his team right now. Because he's got a lot of an, a lot of uh, injection of youth on this team. So he's got, to, got to, he's got to have to be both the good guy and the bad guy at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's kind of a mix in both. I think normally, and if he wasn't trying to just get a better look at his players, he, he would strike you as a guy that would be non-player friendly. Of course. You know, he's an all-time hockey guy. He's friends with Randy and, uh, Carlisle, for crying out loud. Yeah, and from his comments and stuff he said about some of these players, you would think that he would have no problem saying to his face, he might. We can't see that. But just from looking you know, at, at what he's done in, in the games and in practice, he seems like he's a mix between the both. Like He's willing to work with the guys and, and cater to them a little bit. Our Patreon show tomorrow will reveal all about Bob Murray, yeah. his, especially this comment right here. Yeah, we're getting more yeah. into this tomorrow. He's still a hard ass, and, and I don't think he's afraid to tell a player off. So. Um, last question for Instagram. Chad said, hold on. He said, is Getzlaff afraid to shoot the puck? Yes. Uh, it's in his yes. DNA. <laughs> He's said it all along his entire career that he will He's always look to pass. He's, He's just would rather pass. I don't think He's, He's afraid. afraid. He's afraid just... to shoot. He's afraid to shoot. Yeah. He's afraid. Yeah. Why? Well, I... <laughs> I don't he just, just doesn't shoot the puck. The fact. He's adverse yeah, to the He just the doesn't do it. Puck. He, yeah, he doesn't... Uh... That's it's not on the top of his mind. Um, on Facebook, we had a couple questions. Joseph asked this. I think we posted this at the end of the second because he said if the Ducks lose for Hughes against the Kings, oh, does that mean we win the Jackoff? Yes, so it, it does. If, if it the, does yeah, if this isn't this isn't a one game thing or a two game thing, this goes into the final, the draft lottery. Yeah. If both there's there's a chance that both teams could lose. Yeah. Both both uh, both teams will not finish. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Maybe we should cut that out. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. That was that didn't that didn't play <laughs> off as well as I thought it would. Let, let's just skip ahead then to Nick let's Webb just, on let's Facebook. Let's just end the show here. This time no, we got to get to Nick. Nick said, "Do you think the no, Supreme Overlord Bob Murray mishandled our blue line the last two or so years? What would you have done differently?" I don't think he has. I don't think he's mishandled the blue line. I think the blue line's been fine. Um, the only misplay well, was Jose Teodor with Clayton Stoner mix up at the. Uh, the Knights oh, really? expansion draft. That's one of the biggest Jose, ones. Jose Theodore, right? Jose. Right? Yeah, Jose Theodore. Shea Theodore. Same thing. Shea Theodore. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's what I was going to bring up. That's that's the big That's misplay. the biggie. And not asking and uh, also giving Bieksa the no-move clause, not asking him to waive Ooh, the no-move clause, giving Clayton yeah, Stoner that contract that you had to get rid of in the first place, not trading Sammy Votnin or Cam Fowler leading up into the expansion draft and having eventually trading Sammy Votnin at the beginning of next season anyway, and then losing Shea Theodore, who's probably come, become the best, uh, well, obviously, uh, better than Bieksa and, Bo- uh, and Stoner, but better than Brandon Montour, better than Sammy Votnin, and better than Cam Fowler. Shea Theodore is better than all of them. Yeah. If you had him with the Ducks right now, he would be the second-best defenseman behind Hampus Lindholm, and I would argue that it would be close because Shea Theodore has been one of the better defensemen in this league this year. The offense has been there for him, and when you look at zone exits and zone entries, he's generally near the top of the league in both of those. Yeah, so he says it just kills him to see our bottom pair be abysmal tonight. Out of the three goals, I believe they were on there for all three of them, the Ducks had Votnin, Montour, Theodore, and Pedersen who were – who three three of the four average twenty or more minutes a night with their new teams and have uh, a few picks, maybe two guys that are NHL players, and an aging Henrique that needed re-signed to show it to show for it. So he's saying we didn't get much in the way of anything back for those valuable assets we traded away, and those were guys that are playing big minutes now for the new team. That's yeah. a good observation. It really is because that's the truth. The, the Henrique for Vatnin trade, I still think it's it's fair for both. But yeah, teams. it's it's definitely fair. But That's the, fair, but the, but the Shea Theodore trade. Well, yeah, just that that whole situation with with Shea Theodore is what messed everything up. There's a lot of different things, like I already said, you could have traded either Vatnin or Fowler before, you know, during the draft, before the draft, beforehand, you know, right at the end of the season, you could have made the, that trade then. I'm sure you could have. There was suitors for Vatnin. We talked about this on the podcast, or I don't even know. Were we doing? No, we weren't doing this one. This was two years ago, but. Anyway, we talked about this and them moving Votnin at that time. Same goes for Cam Fowler because there's a lot of rumors if Cam Fowler should get moved. And uh, Shea Theodore was a guy I think was at the bottom of our list. And then Brandon Montour had a good playoffs. And then there became the question mark on who would you rather get rid of, Shea Theodore or Brandon Montour. A lot of people switched to Montour because he was the righty. And Shea Theodore didn't have a great playoffs and he was struggling a little bit. And uh, all of a sudden, he's the guy that ends up getting moved out. And it's not even because he's a bad player. It's because you signed Stoner to a yep. bad contract that was only two years long, but you had to get out of it because of the cap situation you put yourself in. And then Kevin Bieksa had a no-move clause that, one, you didn't want to ask him to waive, and two, he said he wouldn't waive anyway. So you, you put yourself in, in a difficult spot there. That uh, and, and honestly, like I don't know why he wouldn't waive it. You think, was Vegas going to pick Kevin Bieksa? No, honestly? they weren't. Like, the, no, exactly. So, like... <laughs> Ask him to waive it. Tell him you're not going to get selected. Like, it's not going to happen. They're not going to take you. And then let them take Sammy Vaughn Like, I know he was valuable and they thought he was valuable, but I would have rather, even at that time, that they take Sammy Vaughn 
instead of Shea Theodore or Brandon Monto. But Shea Theodore is a guy that goes out, and now Vegas is is extremely happy with with Shea Theodore being their number one. Hey, hey man, and so is Shea Theodore. He's still close to California. He got paid a massive deal. In so Vegas, I'm sure he's happy. Yeah, he yeah. got an extension, and he's in Vegas, and they are doing significantly better than the Ducks are. So. And he's there he, again. He's getting top minutes for them because he's arguably their number one guy. So he he goes from being a potential number three on the left side behind Lindholm and Fowler to being the best left-handed defenseman that that team has. So that that's the best situation that could have happened for Shea Theodore. Obviously, the worst situation that could have happened for the Ducks. All right, let's let's get to the last question. It's on Twitter. It's from John Lyons. He says, "Why doesn't Murray trade Getzy Perry Kessler?" While retaining 50% of all their contracts, it would give the Ducks at least almost, if not, $12 million in cap space to return for that trade. <laughs> Plus, when their contracts come up, it comes off the books. More cap space, worth it in my honest opinion. Do it. John, I love you for that because it, it's easy to do on paper. It's easy to do in NHL uh, you know, 19, but it's tough when these guys have no move clauses. They have to prove... Any and all movement of their of, of you know of their contract, whether it's to the AHL, whether it's being traded, no matter what goes on, they have to approve the move. If this if the players not only that, not there has to be Anaheim, shooters. Yeah, and they have to move them, right? Like they have to be able to move them with their approval. And like you said, with suitors, you got to have people who want to take on that contract. Even half of it is a lot to ask. I, I appreciate the question. Obviously, we love any fan question we get. Uh, but it, it's utterly ridiculous <laughs> to think that uh, you could pack, you could trade, let alone you know Perry and, and Kessler at this point, even with fifty percent retained on their salaries. The, you know, there's only two years left on Perry's deal, three years left on Kessler's deal. There's no point in even doing that and trying to attempt that. Whatever you're going to get in return, it's not really worth it. It's just to too much money to pay out in the long term. That that's the biggest yeah. problem is the Ducks would be paying a and ton can, of cash. You can only retain salary, I think, on three players, two or three players. You're not allowed to have retained salary for players that aren't playing for your team. I think it's two or three you're allowed to have. And the Ducks already have one. And, and uh, I think Fistrick comes off the books. Oh, my but, God. Mark Fistrick? Cool. Jesus. Yeah. One, like, there's, a, there's, too many, there's too many moving parts. Maybe the only guy you could move at, at 50% retained is Ryan Getzlaff. But what are you going to get for him? That's going to be worth it at this point. And he, again, he, like you said, he's not waving to go anywhere. Mm-mm. Kessler already specifically said he's not waving to go anywhere. And no team is looking to bring in Ryan Kessler right now, especially with the injury problems he has. Because even even at 50% retained, he's not worth that right now. He's not worth $3.3 or $3.4 million. There's no point in a team taking that on unless they just gave you another player who's making 3.4 in return. Like You have to also think... You're assuming that whoever the, the Ducks trade these te- these players to, even at 50% retained, are not giving you any salary in return. You're, you're expecting to just get picks or prospects back. That's tough. You're not going to get that. If, yeah. if any team is taking these guys, they're likely giving you another bad contract in return to offset the ca- the cost of the cap. They're just not going to – You know, I know you're, you're retaining, but they're not going to still just take that on as a sunk cost. They're likely going to want to move some salary cap. So then maybe you only save half of the half you're saving already. Then it's about $6 million. And then what's the point of moving all three of them if you're going to save $6 million in cap? Yep. It, it just, it, it wouldn't, there's too many working parts, and it, just, it, it wouldn't really make sense. And, and half of them you're not going to be able to remove. 
No, that's too tough. A th- uh, too tough of a deal to try to to even uh, cook up to to offer to a team. That, that's way too much. But I understand the thought process, right? You want to move out the old guys, bring in the new guys. I totally get it. But in reality, it's just too hard of a move. But Eddie, that's the end of the show tonight. Unless you have anything else to add to it. Um, I want to give a shout out to CoolHockey.com. They always sponsor our show. They sponsor our three-star leaderboard, uh, which Eddie puts together for the Forever Mighty Three Stars. You pick the three questions, you or you answer the three questions rather with your picks, and then Eddie tallies up the points at the end of each night, and then at the end of the month, you have a chance to win a awesome, customized, legit jersey. It's not one of the China jerseys that you get on eBay or Amazon or wherever you're looking at. You get a legit jersey here. From CoolHockey.com, and if you don't want to wait for the free jersey to uh, to get your chance to get to the uh, the top of the leaderboard, get over to them anyway and use our promo code FM20. FM20 will get you 20% off whatever your purchase is there at CoolHockey.com. But uh, that's it for us. Um, if you want to check that out, go to Twitter and sign up uh, and subscribe to us and hit the bell. Uh, or hit the notifications, turn them on for us. We can do, uh, make sure that you get the updates for our uh, FM theater board there. Go to YouTube, subscribe, Patreon, subscribe if you'd like to get bonus shows. We have four bonus shows each and every month for our Patreon subscribers. Just if you want more content from us, we appreciate it. If you can, that's great. If you can't, awesome. Stay on board with the free show. We love you guys anyway. But uh, we'll see you guys here on Tuesday night against Nashville. Other than that, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good one. See you guys.